So here, John chapter six, verse 22. The next day, next day, you will recall on the prior day, the Lord manifested his capacity to create. Uh, he multiplied loaves and fishes and fed in excess of 5,000. We're told 5,000 men, so therefore, if you add to the mix women and children, we may be talking about a crowd in excess of 20,000. He managed to feed them with meager supplies. And so the next day after that, the crowd, that is to say the crowd, many of whom were there, observed it and were fed, the crowd that stood on the other side of the sea. Remember we spoke about that's the Sea of Galilee. The other side means the east side of the Sea of Galilee. The event of the feeding of the 5,000 would be in what we refer to today as the Golan Heights. That's where this took place. Well, um, the crowd saw there was no other small boat there. When we go to Israel, we actually see, I think I told you this, a boat. Uh, that would be very much like the one we're speaking about here, a fishing boat. One was found on the shores of the Sea of Galilee, embedded in the mud. It was found by two Israeli brothers, uh, amateur archaeologists, and scientists managed to extricate it after 2,000 years from the mud, put it in a building, and you can go there and visit and get an idea of what, it, what boat they're talking about. Anyway, the crowd realized there was only one boat and that this Jesus had not entered with his disciples into the boat, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Remember, the Lord sent them into the sea in the midst of a storm. We, we discussed this at great length the last time. Well, it's the day after the feeding. The crowd is there. They want more of the same. They can't find Jesus, however, the miracle worker. They're looking for him. Now, verse 23, there came other small boats from Tiberias. Tiberias is on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. It's on the west side. The feeding incident took place on the east side. Boats came from Tiberias, named after the emperor, Roman Emperor Tiberius, near to the place where they ate the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So people who were privy to the miracle are looking for the miracle worker. But others who heard about it from the other side of the Sea of Galilee, they want to find this special rabbi, Yeshua, Jesus, as well. So verse 24, when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the small boats and they came to Kfarnachum, Capernaum, seeking Jesus. Capernaum, village of Nahum, Nahum. Not Nahum the prophet we read about in the Bible, an unknown other Nahum. Capernaum on the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee was the headquarters of the Lord's Galilean ministry. The crowd realized his followers rode through the storm there to that place. They assumed if he's going, if he, this Jesus, is going to be anywhere, maybe they could find him there at Capernaum. So they get into boats and they row to that particular place. Verse 25, when they found him, on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, meaning, Rabbi means teacher. They said, teacher, Rabbi, when did you get here? They found him in Capernaum, but they had no idea how or when he got there. So they asked that question, when did you get there? But notice the Lord doesn't answer. Look, 
Verse 26, Jesus answered and said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. He does not directly answer their question. They want to know how he got there. He bypasses the whole thing because he's always sovereign Lord, even enfleshed, and his agenda is set by he and he alone, and these people are not gonna set his agenda. And so their question, the one that consumed them, is how he arrived there. He bypassed it, it's irrelevant, it doesn't matter. Instead, you know what he calls attention to? Not how he got to Capernaum, he calls attention to the fact that they are following him for the wrong reason. They're seeking him for the wrong reason. They're in it for physical benefits, but here's the implication, they have no interest in spiritual food whatsoever. And so he tells them about this to their face. In fact, he says to them, you saw signs, plural. The most recent was the feeding of the 5,000. It's a sign, it points to something, but they missed it and they stopped at the sign. The sign was the multiplication of loaves and fishes, the production of food that had no previous existence. In the palm of the Lord's hand, food was produced. That's a sign pointing to what? Ah, the fact that he's Messiah. This was not a random miracle. This is in fulfillment of what the Jewish prophets said would occur when Messiah is on the scene. These are the kinds of attesting miracles that would confirm his claim to Messiahship. If he has the authority to multiply loaves and fishes, he has the authority to grant food, bread, for eternal life. But they missed it. They stopped at the food. Feed our stomachs, somebody said. They were more interested in a free meal than in free salvation. And they were. And so the Lord says in verse 27, do not work, don't invest, don't focus. Do not work for the food which perishes, physical food, but for the food which endures Spiritual food, there's another kind of food. Work instead for the food which endures to eternal life, which, by the way, the Son of Man, that's Jesus, will give you. He's able and willing to do so. He will give you this kind of food that persists and endures to eternal life. Why? For on him, God, the Father, has set his seal, his stamp of approval, his authorization, And so instead of being concerned about, instead of being unduly concerned about that which perishes, about that which will not last, about that which has a shelf life, the Lord told them to desire instead the kind of food which endures forever. And he told them he was the source of it. He was telling them not to be consumed, really, by the things which... They are to consume. It's food, it's material stuff. It's important, it's necessary to sustain life, but it cannot give, did you know this? Physical food cannot impart life. It can only sustain life. And so Jesus, the bread of life says, seek me, I can impart eternal life. And he said, I'm willing to give that to you. And so he wants them, he wants us even today to know that 
There's food for the body, and it's surely important, but there's also food for the soul. Both are important, but if I could put it this way, it's only soul food that really matters and that endures forever. He said, seek soul food. Physical food sustains life, but it cannot create it. Spiritual food is what gives life, eternal life. And the Lord Jesus said, that kind of food is from me. So we have physical bodies. And sadly, there are some people who live their life thinking that's all there is of them. This is the stuff, they think, which is the essence of their being. Therefore, get all the gusto. Please the physical body to your fullest extent because when the physical body ceases to be, you cease to be. But that's not true, folks. God created us in a very unique way and made us surely with a material component, this physical body, which in a wonderful way carries us about, but he also created us with non-material components like soul and spirit, which are intensely important aspects of our being, and they deserve more attention even than physical food because they outlast our soul, our spirit. These are the components of human nature that outlast our physical being, our bodies. And so the Lord Jesus said, Look to me, not just for physical food, which is what they were doing. Look to me for food for your soul. And so he showed them signs of his specialness and authority to feed our souls. And one such sign was the miraculous feeding of the thousands of people gathered there. Most of the people there went no further than satisfaction of their physical bodily Needs and they failed to see that was just a sign, an indicator, uh, authorizing, verifying that this Jesus had the capacity to give the stuff of eternal life. And that's what he really wanted to give them more than loaves and fishes. And so even for us, he wants us to be looking to him for life, eternal life, imparting food that feeds our souls and spirits and we need this because when we come to an end materially we do not come to an end non-materially and so we need eternal life imparting and sustaining bread because we continue on into eternity so uh, as a side note let me tell you this I had car problems and so I had to drive it to a dealership to be repaired and they have a shuttle service. They'll take you to where you want to go once you drop the car off. It's a good thing. So I signed up for it. And a really nice man named Jose was going to drive me here back to the church. So we have time. It's just Jose and I um, if, uh, in the car. And we're just talking. That's all. And one thing leads to another. And he told me it's not a good day for him. It's a sad day. Because earlier in the day, his aunt uh, from El Salvador had died. And he was very close to her. On that very day, his aunt died. And then he said, what's more, this past Mother's Day, which we just celebrated a couple days ago, he said it was not a celebration for me because my mother, whom I loved and was very close to, uh, she passed away on Mother's Day some years ago. And he said every Mother's Day triggers this 
sense of being distanced and apart from my mother whom I loved and who loved me greatly. That's, that's what he said. So I'm just listening and my heart is going out to him and I said, Jose, I want to ask you a question. You've had such loss, aunt and mom. Have you ever thought about what happens to a person when he or she dies? And uh, a conversation ensued and it was much, I think, more substantial than that which you saw in the video. We had an exchange of ideas, a little bit more of which I'll share with you uh, later. My point is, even Jose was aware of the fact that there's more to life than that which is confined in our physical bodies, these things. You know, that's why people uh, are wrong when they get real angry with God, even Christian people, when diseases affect our body, things like cancer and so on. Oh, God, how could you do this? How could you... Uh, I, I, it's not that I have the answer to those things. Don't misunderstand. But, but, but his focus of attention really is on that which lasts with regard to us. And it isn't our physical body. It's our soul and spirit. And uh, God somehow can nourish and enhance our spiritual being by allowing our physical being to go through some rough times, even disease, You've been there, so have I. Most of us do better in times of affliction than in times of uh, prosperity. When we're hurting, we cry out to God. So there's physical need, which a loving God allows. Why? To enhance our essential spiritual needs. And he wants us to run to him, for he's the bread of life. And so um, Jose was mindful of the fact he didn't believe for one minute that death was the uh, final word with regard to his aunt or his mom. I'll tell you more about this in a little while. Anyway, when the life in our bodies comes to an end, we do not. I hope you understand that. You have to know that. The essence of our being, our soul, our spirit continues on. And the Lord showed his miraculous signs, not the least of which was the feeding of the 5,000 to persuade those people and us people of his power and authority and ability and willingness to provide enduring food for our eternally enduring souls and spirits. The New Testament writers recognize this. So, for instance, listen to what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely, and may your, look at the different parts that comprise us, may your spirit and soul and body, that cannot be said of any other creative thing. I'm not a rock, I'm not a tree, I'm not an animal, I'm created in the image of God, and therefore all of us have been endowed with non-material components. They're mentioned here in 1 Thessalonians 5, spirit and soul, and then the material component, the body. And Paul says, may all of this be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, the people asked this Jesus, how'd you get here? How'd you arrive in Capernaum? He doesn't answer. Instead, he tells them, look, 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 look. I know what's on your heart. I know you're seeking me, but you're seeking me 
sadly, for the wrong reasons. You're seeking me for temporal benefit. You're seeking me for that which blesses. Only your physical being seek me for more. I want to bless your soul and your spirit. And so he says, just what he does in verse 27, don't work for food which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, for on him the Father, God, has set his seal. So how do they respond? Look, verse 28, therefore, in light of what he said, therefore, they said to him, get this, what shall we do that we may work the works of God? Wow. Wow. They listen to what he has to say about eternity, about salvation, about food that endures to eternal life. And they go into this gear, which is so common to all of us. We love this. Got it, Rabbi Jesus. I love what you said. Eternal life. Very cool. That sounds so good. We want that. We like that. Therefore, what can we do? What are we supposed to do to earn that? Tell us what we should do to merit entrance into heaven. What do we have to do to earn our entrance into heaven? I'm telling you, folks, it's not just them 2,000 years ago. That's human nature. We love that talk because once we find out what we think we are to do in order to win God's favor and earn our right into heaven, then we'll brag about it for the rest of our lives. We'll boast about it. And we love it. And so that's why they ask the question that they do. Most of the people in the video we observed responded in a similar way. In answer to the question, how do you get to heaven, most answered, well, you get to heaven by being a good person or by doing good things. So what then was the Lord's response? They asked the question, what, what should we do to work the works of God? Here's his answer, verse 29. Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. That is a power-packed verse of scripture. They want to know, how can we merit heaven? Here's his answer. This is the work of God that you believe in him whom he, almighty God, has sent. The gift of God, the gift which Jesus, the son of God, came to give. The gift of eternal life can only be obtained by believing, not by working. Folks, uh, John chapter 6, verse 29, ought to settle the matter in your hearts and minds forever. One cannot get to heaven by what he or she has done or not done. One gains entrance into heaven by believing in what Jesus has done for us. Simple. Choose which approach to heaven is yours. Interestingly, God's declared way for entrance into heaven contradicts our notion of how to get to heaven. Our way is this, be good, do good. God's way, confess your sin and accept Jesus as your savior. Can you see the difference? Why is that so unattractive, God's way? 
because you can't brag about that one. All you can boast about is the cross of Jesus Christ. Now, that ought to be enough, but we don't like it. We would rather boast about our own virtue and capacity to earn our way into heaven. And that's why we have developed systems that are diametrically opposed to God's. Now, for instance, I want want you to see something. Do you notice that the Lord Jesus, this is subtle, but it's powerful. He changed their plural word, works, to the singular word, work. So in verse 28, they asked, what shall we do that we may work the works, plural. What shall we do that we may work the works of God? But in verse 29, he answers, this is the work of God. You see how he changes their notion of plural works to one singular work. In other words, there are no human works that can get us into heaven. Only one work can do that, and that is the work of believing in what Jesus Christ has done for us. Can you see it? I hope so. We cannot get to heaven by what we do. We can only get to heaven by believing in what Jesus has done for us. So we refuse to believe we can do something for God. Instead, we choose to believe in what God has done for us. That's the way to heaven. The only good work a sinner can do, this is it, The only good work an unsaved sinner can do is to confess his sins and accept Christ as Savior. That's the only good work the Father will accept. So people on the street in the video you saw were asked the question, how do you get to heaven? Again, there are only two ways, God's grace or our works. And I want to show you in just a few minutes Every, every, no exception, every religion in the world, every religion known to humankind throughout its history teaches the latter. You get to heaven by doing in whole or in part good works. No religion, none, teach God's way of entrance into heaven, and that is by faith alone, through God's grace alone, in the shed blood of Jesus alone. I want to show you that no world religion teaches that. They all teach that in whole or in part you get to heaven by earning it. For instance, the Baha'i, I'm gonna do this in alphabetical order. The Baha'i faith, it's an Eastern religion, uh, teaches that man has no sin nature at all from which he even needs to be saved. That's the teaching of that religion. Buddhism teaches that Reaching nirvana requires following what's called the eightfold path, which includes speaking, acting, and living in the right manner. See, good works. Taoism, T-A-O, Taoism says uh, those who have done, I'm mentioning these, you may not be too familiar with them, but I want to tell you, collectively, this is the population of the world. People, uh, affiliate with one uh, or the other of these religions I, I, I'm, I'm telling you about. So, so Taoism says those who have done good are sent to a certain special dwelling place, but those who have done bad, they've not done good, are sent to a place called hell just for a time, and then they are reincarnated. Confucianism 
uh, says that the afterlife is unknowable. You can't even know about it, and therefore, you should simply concentrate on being a good person and doing good here. (coughs) Hinduism uh, teaches that salvation can only be achieved by ridding oneself of what they call bad karma, uh, by doing those things that appease the gods. By doing, see, human works, those things that appease the gods. Islam, you've heard of Islam, says you can only be saved by making sure your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds. And so it also teaches that the only work guaranteeing one's entrance into paradise is to become a martyr in the service of Allah. That's not Stuart's interpretation of Islam. That's what Islam states. The only way to be sure you will gain entrance into heaven is by doing the work of martyrdom in the service of Allah. Judaism, let me be an equal opportunity offender here. Uh, Judaism is amazingly similar to Islam in a general sense because it too teaches that the way to get to heaven is to make sure your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds. The rabbis tell us we're not born with a sin nature, we're born with a human nature. Sometimes we do bad stuff, sometimes we do good stuff. And you wanna make sure the good stuff Uh, takes place more frequently than the bad stuff. And then in the end, your good deeds will be in a scale and and it will be weighed out as against your bad deeds. And you want to hope that the scale is tipped in favor of your good deeds and then God will let you gain entrance into heaven. So Judaism is a religion of works. I made a dogmatic statement, but I'll bet you can't prove me wrong. I just told you every religion known to humankind teaches that the way to gain entrance into heaven is in whole or in part to do good works. Every one of these religions teaches that. How about Jehovah's Witnesses? They teach that the group they call the anointed 144,000 are saved one way, but that all others must earn their way to heaven. One of the ways is to knock on your door. What about Mormonism? It teaches that uh, to reach the highest heaven, one must believe in God and Jesus. Also, one must repent of sins. Also, one must be baptized into the Mormon church. Um, Also, one must receive the Holy Ghost by the laying on of hands. Also, one must obey the Mormon, what's called the Mormon word of wisdom, along with all of God's commandments. And also one must complete certain temple rituals in the temple in Salt Lake City, Utah. Uh, Make uh, no mistake about it. Uh, Though members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, Mormons, when they knock on your door, will indicate they believe the same thing as you. They do not. Uh, They believe in whole or in part, you must earn your way to heaven. If you call yourself... A, a, a Christian, a follower, follower of Christ, you do not hold the same beliefs as Mormons. You have discovered another way to heaven. It has nothing to do with you. It's the grace of God. What about something called Scientology? Have you heard about that one? That's the, uh, the faith perspective of uh, Hollywood people and folks like that. It teaches that salvation is achieved through knowledge of self and the universe. You have to get to know you and you got to get to know how the universe works, and then you, you get to heaven. Shintoism uh, teaches that salvation is dependent on avoiding impurity 
or pollution of the soul. Can you see the emphasis is all on you? It's all on you. It's not what a savior has done. It's what you do to save yourself. Sikhism, S-I-K-K-H-I-S-M, Sikhism, uh, teaches uh, salvation is attained by living an honest life and meditating on God. Can you say, can you? I, I, I surely am not saying these are bad things to do. Uh, but can you see how they appeal to the human pride? Um, I, I will avoid the pollutants of life, and if I do it more than you, I got bragging rights over you. And, and if I meditate on God more than you, I got bragging rights over you. See, it's all about you. It's all about you. It's all, it's, it's all about you. Uh, uh, Almighty God gets no credit, no thanks, no gratitude, no appreciation whatsoever. You're earning your right to gain entrance into his heaven, according to these religions, and then we'll end with this one, Zoro, Zoroastrianism. It's a, a religion in many places, including Iran. Iran's in the news. Uh, Zoroastrianism is a religion uh, in Iran and other places. It teaches that the afterlife is dependent upon one's actions in this life. It's what you do, good or bad, that ensures your entrance into heaven. Folks, I want to tell you, Dogmatic statement, but I dare you to prove me wrong. It is only the Bible that teaches salvation through faith by God's grace alone. Nothing else. We are not religious people. I do not want to be put in the same category as these other organized religions which have substituted human merit and effort for the redemptive work of Almighty God who became man to suffer and die for men and women like you and me. Only biblical Christianity speaks of God's grace alone as the means to gain entrance into heaven. And so Jesus, they asked the question, what shall we do that we may work the works of God? And he says, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. Folks, we do works to thank God for having done freely and graciously the work of redeeming us. We don't do works to earn salvation. We do works to reveal that we already are saved. Ephesians chapter 2, you know this, don't you? How's it go? Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, 4 by, how's it go? I lost it for a second. Anyone know that? Ephesians 2, oh, thank you. For by grace, Listen, for by grace you have been saved through works. Remember, every religion says that. That's why this is different. Uh, the Bible is different. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And look what it says. And this, not of yourselves. We hate that. Then it says it's the gift of God, right? Are you the kind of person who gets uncomfortable when someone gives you a gift? Sure you are. Someone out of the blue gives you a gift. And you, and you might have been a skunk to that person. And you get a gift. It just makes you feel so uncomfortable, like break out in hives. It's so free, it's so disconnected to you. You like don't want it. But it obligates you to be appreciative of that person's free gift giving. You don't want to be obligated to that, and that's why we reject God's way of salvation. It's so, it's so disconnected to anything we do or don't do or deserve. 
It's such an inexpressible gift. It's so foreign to our mentality that when the offer comes, oh, we start getting jittery about it. Because if I accept God's gift of eternal life, then, oh, man, I, I, I have to express gratitude to him for the rest of my life. I have to praise him. I have to sing worship songs to him. And I, I cannot be lifted up. <laughs> I have to, in words of, in songs of praise, I have to lift him up. But I want to be lifted up at least higher than you. I want to be more religious than you, so at least I can brag about, about the fact that I'm doing this stuff better than you. Don't you see? Yeah, but Jesus said, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So look, I mentioned my conversation with the driver, the shuttle bus driver the other day from the car dealership, a man named Jose. We had a conversation. We were talking about life after death and I was telling him what the Bible had to say about it and then in the course of conversation uh, I don't know these words just popped into my head uh, I haven't counted them recently but if I had to guess I'd say I, maybe about 40 and I said Jose let me tell you he had nowhere to go we're trapped in the car where's he gonna go Jose let me tell you about the greatest thing that ever happened to me it's when I realized that God was willing to forgive all my sins through the death of his son Jesus on the cross in my place. And I, and I told Jose, Jose, it's, it's a gift. It's God's grace. And, and we can't uh, uh, have that gift except we, by faith, accept it. That's all we can do. Unless, and we, we spoke about that. And I said, Jose, when a person accepts this gift, sin which separates us from God no longer separates us from God. Not here, not in eternity. And Jose, that's what happens to us when we die. We who by faith started our relationship with Jesus, the bread of life here, we continue it on into eternity because he's the only one who can bequeath to us food that endures into eternity. Folks, make no mistake about it. The reason I'm belaboring this point here is that polls are being done of church people, and it seems that many are confused about this. And many, as you saw reflected in the video, think we're saved either by works wholly or in part. Yes, you have to, some people would say you have to accept Jesus, but, you, but then you have to be baptized. No, I thank God for this beautiful family that was baptized here. Oh, my goodness. Beautiful, beautiful. That, that water did not save them. You know what that water showed us? They have been saved by the work, by the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And they painted a picture, even without a word. As they went into the water, they're identifying with the death and burial of Jesus Christ. And as they came up out of the water, they're identifying with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what Jesus did for them. They just went public about it. You see what I mean? They don't get patted on the back <laughs> for, for, for being baptized. You, you can, we can't add to what Jesus has done for us. What shall we do that we may work the works of God? Oh God, I'm gonna tell you something. If there was a way, what a time for Jesus to have given them a list of do's and don'ts. He said one thing. This is the singular work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. <clears throat> have you? Have you made that decision? Remember, this is the Jesus who 
uh, miraculously provided physical food as a sign of the fact that he can just as miraculously provide spiritual food that we uh, find nourishment from, from throughout eternity. This is no idle claim of some guy in the street. This is Jesus whose signs bear the seal and affirmation of the Father. If these, this Jesus could pull off what he pulled off, then he can pull you out of lostness and darkness and the penalty of your own sin, clean you up, give you a new nature, make you a new creation, and pronounce upon you, you are forgiven. You will gain entrance into heaven on the basis of what I have done for you. Have you ever put your faith, have you ever believed in Jesus as your Savior? From what? Ah, from the wrath of God due to our sin. That's what, it is. That's what we're saved from. It all befell Jesus. So he cried out, oh God, why are you forsaking me? He had no sin of his own. It was yours and mine, which he took upon his shoulders. And after all that was done, we hear these magnificent words, it is finished. It is paid in full. The debt is canceled. But I ask you, have you ever put your faith in Jesus Christ that way as your personal savior? Have you ever rested, just like it's Sabbath, from trying to earn your way from heaven and instead say, oh God, just as you rested from your work or physical creation, I feel by faith the permission from rest, uh, to rest from my efforts to earn my way into heaven. Jesus paid it all. There's only one singular work that can ensure my entrance into heaven, and that's believing in the finished and complete work of Jesus Christ on the cross for our sin. I hope you've made that decision because the powerful multiplier of loaves and fishes only invites you to. He will not impose himself upon you. Knocking is what he's doing, waiting for you to say, come in, Lord Jesus. Come in, bread of life. Feed me till I want no more. I hope you've made that decision. Lord Jesus, yeah, that's what we pray. Living Savior. The power of your spirit and presence, I pray, you would mercifully affect the one or ones here who are still yet to be reconciled to you. And I pray, oh God, that they may truly go in peace by, by faith, accepting your marvelous offer of forgiveness by asking you to come into their life, forgive their sin, change them from the inside out. Lord, I pray that would happen tonight. And this we pray in Jesus' name, amen.